Blog Talk Radio. Hello, 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 and welcome to Drive Through HR, the Internet's longest-running HR talk show. I am one of your hosts, Crystal Miller-Lay, and I am here to say it's an exciting day. We've got Josh Rock on the line with us. Josh, here's hoping your audio is working. Let's say hello and see how we do. <laughs> What's happening, guys? Yep, I'm here. Excellent. We also have someone else on the line from a 320 area code. Let's see who that is. Should be fun. That's Josh, 320 area code. <laughs> okay, well, you're on twice, so that's really fun. <laughs> that's weird. Let's do that. It is weird. Technology is awesome. Okay, well, in that instance, Josh, why don't you introduce yourself? Because no one can introduce you quite the way you can. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, my name is Josh Rock. I am the talent acquisition manager for Nuss Truck and Equipment uh, here in Minnesota. I've been a member of the Minnesota Recruiters Network for quite some time, Uh, spent some time on the Minnesota SHRM board, uh, et cetera. So doing a lot in the uh, HR space. That is exciting stuff. I think you've been a staple as long as I can remember being in this space. So (laughs) I am excited. Yeah, probably 2012, 2015, somewhere in that area. Yeah, it's been a while. Well, you know what? That's okay. That's good. Um, so, so let's talk about what you wanted to talk about today. When I kind of threw out the, hey, we're looking for people to talk about what's keeping them up at night in HR, your thing was, do we need marketers or recruiters in talent acquisition? And I am excited yeah. to have this discussion with you, maybe even debate, depending on where you land. So tell me about <laughs> it. What's your thought? You know, um, I obviously have, I've spent uh, time both in the vendor side and the HR side. Um, I started in, on, the, on the vendor side working for JobDig and LinkUp uh, here in Minnesota, helping HR people connect with candidates. And then in 2012, I flipped to the HR side. And, you know, in being on both sides, I see, you know, kind of the, the mindset of, of both sides of that, of that coin. Um, some, you know, recruiters are not marketers. They like to weed through the chaff that comes into them. Others are outside, you know, uh, interacting with candidates, luring talent to their opportunities, uh, and then obviously going through the full, you know, the full cycle process. And so um, everybody's different. There's definitely room for everybody to do exactly what they like to do in the space. Um, but I'm of the mindset that, yeah, you should be out, you know, marketing and promoting your organization, promoting opportunities. Heck, promoting opportunities of other companies if you, if you so choose, um, but really getting out there and engage the talent um, where they are instead of waiting for them to come to you because um, you sometimes find it that much more easier to, to, to get those people to join uh, those opportunities that you have at your organization. Wait, you mean there was actually some truth to the, uh, the saying, go to the mountain instead of trying to move exactly. the to you? What? Exactly. Okay. I know. It's shocking. It's shocking. <laughs> I'm shocked, I tell you. Um, so you had me right up until you get the point where you said there's room for everybody to do. I got to tell you, the leader brain in me goes, I don't know about that. <laughs> so I hear you. I hear you. A little bit on that concept. You know, it's, it's one of those where, you know, it, when, you, when you say that there's room for everybody, I mean, 
so many organizations are going to do it differently. Um, at my previous employer at Fairview, the recruiters didn't have the time or the frequency to really get out and, and um, promote opportunities besides, hey, I'm looking for this on LinkedIn. Um, you know, they have sourcers that kind of help, but maybe don't go to the nth degree of marketing and promoting their opportunities. Those recruiters waited for um, those candidates to come in and then weeded through, you know, what they had. Um, some enjoyed it that way and some didn't. Some wanted to get out and do more. Um, and so I think by um, looking through those opportunities and, and kind of seeing what the process is um, as a recruiter in different organizations, you can find the space um, to fit what works for you. Okay. Um, so I hear you. I'd like to break it down a little bit more. I think when we talk about marketers versus recruiters, what we're, what we're probably getting into is marketing versus sales, right? So yeah. when you break mm-hmm. down – recruitment at the, the outbound piece. Well, I mean, I guess even really <laughs> um, engagement on the inbound piece. But when you break down the, the top end of recruiting, a lot of it looks like sales, right? So mm-hmm. uh, now feel free to disagree, but that's, that's my take on it. So yep. from a marketing perspective, like because that's my background, um, it's first marketing and then recruiting. Um, I look at that and say, okay, well, recruitment marketing really is, um, probably better served by marketers as opposed to sales slash recruiters, right? And not because True. recruiters can't do it. They, they can, right? I mean, it's, it's not like it's rocket science, but, but there is a skill mm-hmm. around it. There's a competency around it that needs to be developed. And I think part of my frustration as I look in at organizations is they often don't give that competency the respect that it's due in talent acquisition while giving it respect on the, the side that's driving products and services. But the reality is that people are needed to be able to drive the products and services that the company like uses to make money or sells to make money, right? So, so I think they need marketers. Like I think they need marketers first and foremost who understand lead generation and inbound marketing and outbound marketing and, and what that all needs to look like so that then recruiters can come in and do the, the sales piece of it. Very, very true. Um, you know, there are some that are, you know, recruitment houses of one. And so they have to do the, you know, the marketing, you know, on their own because they don't have the, the tools inside the organizations to do so. And so then they seek out the, the knowledge, the expertise to be able to, to do those things that we're talking about, you know, being able to effectively market um, their organization and opportunity. Um, you know, and, and it's not for every recruiter. I total, wholeheartedly agree with you on that, that they don't have the, the skill aptitude um, to do that. But if they, if they have it, they've sought it out, they've learned it, they've honed that craft over time, um, you know, they can effectively do it in certain cases. I mean, I, I started on the oh, vendor space, sure. you, know, you know, promoting. Sorry, I'm going to interrupt um, you. I just want to make sure that you're not misunderstanding yeah. me. I'm not saying that, yeah. that any, any recruiter in the world can learn to do marketing. It's not – there's no, there's no magic behind it. There's no secret sauce. Like there's just, it's a set of competencies that you have to learn. But it's, correct. I put that back on the organization. So you talked about the the recruiting yeah. competent, the recruiting team of one, right? Like that is, and I'm speaking to every CEO, CFO, CHRO that's out there. If you have a recruiting team of one in your organization, you better have less than 100 employees, or you're not doing right by your organization. I will go on record. Amen. 
(laughs) It's not fair to your company. It's not fair to your hiring managers, and it's not fair to your employee who will eventually leave you for a company that will better provide for the department that you're asking them to manage. But so they can learn those things. It's not a question of whether or not they can or can't functionally learn how to do those things. It's should they be tasked that way? Should we be expecting organization, like expecting one person to be able to be marketing, sales, project manager, you know, business partner, and admin all rolled into one and expect them to be able to do any kind of a good job with it? That's my question. Uh, it, it's it's the whole proverbial HR wears 800 hats, you know, and you're right. I mean, in order right. for them to be successful, um, they need to be able to, to focus and um, some can do it well, others not so much. And, you know, eventually, you know, maybe leadership figures it out and gives them the tools and the resources to really do that. Um, but as we all know, organizations don't do that. They don't put all the, the right resources to uh, our specialty. Um, and, uh, and they continue to wonder why things aren't working out. So then it, should we, from the TA perspective, should we make it incumbent upon the organization to come to us, I'm bringing the mountain to Muhammad, so to speak, or should we turn around <laughs> and go to the mountain, right? Like, so, so should we, in recruitment, if we are an under-resourced, whether that's a team of one or a team of 20, if you have an under-resourced department, uh, it's that it's not sufficient to be able to gain the candidate flow and the acquisition that you need, then should we be looking at how to make that business case to our leadership? Totally, totally. Um, you know, in, in some of my employers, I've I advocated many, many times for um, substantial resources, whether it's budgets to, to do effective employment marketing um, or um, bringing on, you know, additional staff um, and for some it's a priority and for some it's not. And, you know, and, um, we, we see those in our space changing employers because of some of these very reasons. They don't have the resources to be successful and they're continually beating their heads on the wall, even though they've made um, proposal after proposal to, to get those things and senior leadership does, doesn't see that as a priority, but yes, amen, definitely bring it. Uh, you know, bring that business case forward each and every time that you think that it will effectively change your business and improve what you're doing. And so as someone who's put those business cases forward, and to be fair to our listeners, I am totally putting Josh on the spot. We did not have any prep on this, so he may not have an answer readily available. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just, I'm doing right by you, Josh. <laughs> hey, I'm um, good. I'm good. I'm wheeling, dealing. Let's, let's do it. Right on. So, so if someone has made those business cases, if, if you could speak to someone who hasn't, who maybe needs to, what would you tell them to look for? Where do they start? You know, obviously I, I look at, you know, where, where things are going when, um, and I, I, I do this now, um, you know, with NUS is, you know, I, I see the complaints that leaders are making about different um, needs of the organization. And I continue as, as a new person, I've only been here three months, um, to try to, you know, effectively do what they're asking me to do with the re- resources that I have. And when I don't, then, um, you know, I definitely, you know, will propose that we add in different things, you know, different tools, different expenditures. I will garner buy-in from the leaders between me and the top. Um, and along the way, um, add in um, those voices, add in those, those points of influence and the rationale behind making those changes. 
and then along the way, you know, get it to the leadership like I did this morning uh, about a change that I needed, I wanted to make. Um, you know, I garnered the buy-in from the different levels that it was going to impact uh, the different stakeholders involved and then made my case, um, you know, very, you know, smart, thought out, um, concise um, to the leader to, you know, to hopefully, um, you know, adhere to what we're, what we're asking. Um, and we'll see. Um, but it's, it's, you know, not going, going it out. Don't go it alone if you don't have to. Try to get those who have shared influence um, in that aspect and, and bring it to leadership. These are all very sound recommendations. I'll, I'll say from my perspective, and it might be because I'm married to a data nerd who, by the way, just walked in. So our co-host, Dwayne Lay, has joined us. Hello, everybody. Uh, What's up, brother? Just live and dream, man. Play a hockey. Okay, that's your back half hey, of the show. Let me have my data point. <laughs> I, I knew we weren't going to hijack the show completely with hockey, so, you know, I'm, I'm good with you, Crystal. Good deal. So we have to talk a little later at first, but it's kind of our jam. But, um, but so, so I will say, it, it, again, might be because I'm married to a data guy. It might be because my world is based around reporting things that are quantifiable. Um, but I would say when you're building that business case, start with data. Start with data. So you might need the data to, to get the buy-in that Josh is talking about, but you know maybe you already have that buy-in based off of gut feels. That's great, but your CFO and hopefully your CEO, they talk numbers. And so being able to look at the things like the cost of vacancies, so what is it costing you to have this position open or these roles open that you have forecasted throughout the year? What is the per-day cost? Um, and then being able to look at the um, cost of protracted search, right? So assuming you're able to fill everything in-house, if you're a team of one, it's taking you longer than it needs to. So what is the cost of, of having a search open three weeks versus one week or not being able to build a proactive pipeline? And I think these are some of the ways that you can start to get the tools that you need or to be able to work with, you know, um, bringing in additional staff or agencies or whatever that might be. Agreed. Agreed. Um, you know, when we, when we implemented um, new text messaging software to our candidates, um, we did just that. You know, I, I brought in, I looked at a variety of different providers. Um, I looked at, you know, what their costs were annually. Um, I looked at what we were doing um, and engaging, how we were engaging candidates. And I made a, you know, um, nice write-up about, you know, what our situation was, um, who we looked at, what their costs were in comparison to who we were asking to go with and what it costs, you know, and, and brought it to both the CFO um, and the VP of finance and said, Hey, here's our case. Um, and both resoundingly said, Oh, by all means, go for it. Um, you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a huge cost, but you know, I'm, I'm a petty pincher. Um, I've obviously coming from a nonprofit organization where I couldn't spend. Um, I still think that way in a for-profit organization and say, Hey, yeah. here's what I want. Here's what it's going to cost and the impact. And you know, can we do it? So yeah. You want to make sure you've got your metrics in there. Um, good, uh, definitely good stuff to add in. Yeah, and you know, I'll say the first time that I had to make a business case for this, I um, was brought into a home building company to do recruiting. I mean, that was what I was hired for, and then day one, I ended up running HR. So that was that was fun, <laughs> but um, it's nothing like walking into a situation that is 180 degrees different than what you thought you were going to do, but. But one of the things that we realized really quickly is that they had really expensive tools. They didn't have a lot of tools, but the tools that they had were expensive. So they were spending 
you know, $30,000 an executive on executive search, they were spending $18,000 a head for a builder, which would be, you know, equivalent to a, a mid-level manager, right? And so, you know, you've got these exorbitant search fees, and then they were using a, um, <laughs> they were using a company <laughs> for, for payroll processing that is very good, but very, very expensive. Um, I won't say their names. But um, so we were able to look at like spend across the board and go, okay, how could we use the spend we already have in a different way? And so looking at things like when your contract times are up for your existing vendors and then going out to bid out for an equivalent level or sometimes even better level of service at a lower cost will provide you the funds that you need to be able to get some marketing tools in. And, and if you don't already have marketing tools at your disposal, like, Think like a marketer. I, I swear we need to do a show that's like just about what it's like to be a marketer. And and the first thing that you're going to look at is, you know, your own sites, right? What does your website look like? You know, do, do you have all of your properties secured? You know, are you driving back to owned destinations? Or are you driving to Indeed or LinkedIn? Or and there's nothing wrong with either of those sites, but you don't own them. So where and you're paying per candidate to acquire. So where are you driving to? Um, and then looking at, you know, technology that helps you do a better job of that. So that could be programmatic job boards. That could be, I would recommend every company in the world invest a little bit in um, Google, you know, AdWords, search, um, search ads, those kind of things. And then, you know, your systems to bring that all in, your CRM system, your ATS, you know, ATSs are a database, right? And so a lot of them have the capability to be able to, segment or spin off an instance that you can utilize as a CRM if you don't have a standalone system, but you do need to create a segmented database for your um, pre-candidate marketing because the rules associated with communication to people prior to being an applicant is different than those after. So before you get to play my marketing rules, which are much more fun for you, um, and then afterwards, <laughs> much more fun, much more targeted, much more effective. Um, and then afterwards, yes. you have to go by, you know, applicant communication rules, which are much more stringent, as we know, to be able to to ensure Title VII protections. So, so that's correct. You know, that's kind of what you're looking at. But you, for for a lot of companies, I would say even most organizations that we've worked with, we can find their initial operating budget out of what they're already spending and just making that better. So something to look at, something to think about, but. Say another word. We got to do a reset because I'm a little bit behind, and I need to do right by my other co-host who is here, and um, and say hi everybody. If you're just now tuning in, you are listening to Drive Through HR again. We are the internet's I'm going to say longest running HR talk show because there's no one to tell me differently. Um, we've been running since 2010, continuously talking about matters of HR recruitment and everything in between. So we have four co-hosts that run this show. Uh, myself. Michael Vandervoort, Robin Schooling, and the um, Effervescent? Yeah. Uh, probably both. Okay. Uh, Dwayne Lay, who uh, is not only my co host, he's also my husband, but he is a HR um, thought leader. He just gave me a face. In yeah. his own right. Uh, I would too. <laughs> yes. Well, that's fair. I mean, it's got a, you know, like all kinds of fun connotations to it. But um, in his own right, if you've not read his book, Lean HR, feel free to do so. It is on Amazon, and evidently we are joined by my two-year-old grandson, Lane. So um, he's found his way into the studio. Should be fun. So I understand that you guys <laughs> want to talk some hockey. 
maybe this is a good time for you to do that so I can get people that are under three feet tall out of this room. <laughs> Bye, Elaine. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about this. So last night was rough for, for my blues. Um, dropping one. I got to tell you, I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of games this year because the whole Bally Sports Hulu thing. So let yep. me just be up front saying, like, man, the abs are fast. Holy cow. Going at, like, 26 miles an hour last night. Like, by, like, just, it's incredible to watch. Now, I, you know, the Blues, I think, will be fine. They're a good team. Um, we ended the season strong against your Wild, as I recall. Uh, it, did. it didn't matter. Um, my, my team started to tank at the very end, and I don't know why. Um, because they were obviously showing a lot more uh, offensive prowess uh, earlier on uh, against your team than uh, – but, hey, you know what? We're both in the playoffs, and that's all that matters. Well, and you're up one nothing. Um, game two. Tonight. I am. So, yeah, we have so uh, another, another late one in Vegas. I, I don't like these 9 o'clock starts. Yeah, well, we have the same thing for uh, a Colorado game. So the, the league hates the Blues. Everybody knows that. Uh, and no, that goes way, no, way no, back. The league doesn't hate the Blues. Back. The league hates Minnesota. I hate to tell you. Uh, they don't hate Minnesota. They gave Minnesota a second team. Come on. You never had Scott Stevens ripped away from you and then Brendan Shanahan ripped away from you and all those things. Come on. You know. You know. Wait, 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 wait. Did, did, are you forgetting the whole Norm Greed situation? We lost an entire yes. team, not players, yeah. an entire team stolen in the dark of night to move to all of godforsaken places, Dallas. That's terrible. That's not a hockey town. Um, and then we, and we, and we, so, lost, we lost the NHL for, what, 10 years until we got the Wild? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, know what, I, I know what thievery looks like. Yeah, I'm just saying it's worse for us um, because it impacts more people, I think. <laughs> How many people live in, in, oh. in Minnesota? Is it up to, like, double digits, or how does that work? Really? Really? <laughs> really? I don't know. I never get up there. I never get to see you anymore. It's been over a year. I don't know what's oh, been holding well, us back. Speaking, speaking of that, did you not notice the post I sent your way about um, you still not having a fishing trip up here that you were trying to plan three years ago? You know what? I did see it, and then I forgot about it. I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, I think <laughs> that there should very much be um, a an on-location drive-through remote from a lake someplace or a river that where we can fish yep. and talk hockey and talk HR. Uh, we can do that. that. I am, you know me. I am totally in. We can we can do it during the NHL season. We can, shoot. We can do ice fishing season for all that. You know, um, get you out on a frozen pond. It, it, well, and, you know, I think the last time we we did a uh, a really lively uh, DTHR remote was in Rochester when you and I, uh, Mike, yes. um, Brian, Jay, we're all in a in a lobby in the Rochester Convention Center <laughs> and <laughs> all dialed in with our backs to each other so we couldn't hear each other. There's there's a yeah. photo that's filtered around many times with us doing that conversation. So yes, it does yeah. need to happen again. That was a good time. We should for sure do that. It, uh, so, it was a good time. Uh, so anybody who's listening, um, just be on the lookout for those notifications. I think we should absolutely set that up for the summer. Amen to that, brother. So, Come in. So, so what have we learned from our teams this year? Uh, I will start for the Blues. Uh, what we've learned is perseverance. We've learned um, the importance of grit and of not giving up when you're down in the standings. And the importance of uh, a guy like David Perron, who 
has never signed with anybody but the Blues, had his best year ever as a Wiley veteran, um, and has really made this team stand out despite all the injuries and complications over the season. So what did you learn from your boys this year? Uh, mine is really simple. Uh, it comes in one name, Kirill Kaprasov. Done. Mic drop. I that's mean, you, you got learned? the. You learned how to say his name. That's what. I don't know. No, I mean, well, I mean, one, one. My son and I hung out at his, at, at his apartment, you know, signing autographs for a couple hours one day. But um, obviously, that was a cool experience. Um, my son loved that. But no, I mean, yeah. for us, it was really, you know, ride, ride the the coattails of this rookie phenom from Russia. I mean, um, the mm-hmm. team, you know, really rallied behind what he could do. They 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 picked up speed. They took more shots. They scored more goals the offense really started to click. They went from being a really defensive-minded team. I mean, hell, look at the old Jacques Lemaire neutral zone trap that we played for how many years, um, yeah. and now we've actually figured out how to be an offensive team. Um, and it's starting to show, and it's not just Kaprasov. I mean, you've got uh, Brodine, you've got Fiala, um, you know, Spurgeon's, you know, everybody's stepping up. And defensively, they've maintained being strong. Now, does that mean we lose the likes of a, a Dumba or a um, Susie unprotected to um, to Seattle? I hope not. Uh, I don't know what we're going to do there. Um, I, you know, my my thought, if anybody's listening in, you know, the uh, Bill Guerin camp, keep my boy Susie. Um, he, he's a UMD Bulldog, so you know, obviously first and foremost, he needs to stay with the team. Um, that's just me being self, you know, uh, you know, self fulfilling. <laughs> but hey. Sure. Um, you know, it's 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 been a great season. You know, I wish we would have been able to go down and we obviously none of us got to go down and watch anything. Um, but I'm yeah. uh, I've been enjoying watching it and listening to it and uh, watching this team come together. So so can we agree? Speaking on behalf of of all hockey fans, can we agree that until we get a a real full schedule, uh, none of these none of these count? Can we just agree, like, the Lightning's win doesn't count no. last year. This one doesn't count. It's only half a season, which, I mean, so the Blues are still the last true champions, I think is what we've settled on, yes? No, 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 because um, I would assume that somewhere in the next couple minutes, Mike Vanderbort's likely going to call in, or maybe even a Jay Coon, <laughs> and savage you for diminishing the title win that they had last season. Well, and, and so, so I would understand that, you know, if, if – uh, if that's all you really had to celebrate, I would get it. Um, but, I, but I'm pretty sure that's not the case. That's a darn fine team down there. Um, always happy for our boy Patty Maroon to have some success. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stick with the Blues are, are still the real reigning champions until there's a full season. Uh, and, and if there's a full season next year and someone else wins, then I'll come up with another reason why the Blues are still the reigning champions. It'll be so you're not you're not you're stating reasons. You're stating excuses. I think they're doing. Uh, you know, potato, tomato, however you want to say it. <laughs> <All right. laughs> you, you you keep on believing on because um, I will tell you this: the likelihood of Gloria being sunned by a drunken Brett Hall is highly unlikely this postseason. Just saying. I think you underestimate how much Brett Hall drinks and sings in the shower every night. Oh no! Oh, no. Oh no, no, I do not. I've I've seen Mr. Hall um, in in his glory, um, obviously through my days at Duluth, and uh, 
Oh, well, maybe we can talk the ninety what ninety eight or ninety nine Stanley Cup win when uh, he was with Dallas in the uh, whole crease situation. Um, I was with him a couple that, weeks that after that. Count. We all know um, his foot was in the drunk in my restaurant. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just saying he's singing Gloria on a regular basis. That's just not you know out of place. Um, well, you know, but, but that's I, a whole other. I don't. Stuff. I don't think it's going to be your year. I, I hate to say it. Oh, I I uh, I am a because I'm a lifelong Blues fan. I assume we'll go out in the second round because most of my life that's what the Blues fan. Um, but uh, but again, I'm going to go back to man. That Colorado team is 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 solid and and impressive yeah. and. You know, for a lot of teams, that President's Cup is a kiss of death, but I have a feeling it won't be for them. And I think that's a good place to wrap up this edition of the But we don't have a lot more to say about hockey. I'm sure you do, but we've got about 60 seconds left in this show. And, Josh, if someone heard the first half of this show or the second half of the Hockey fans, what's the best way for them to reach out to you on social? The easy way to find me, JRock96 on the good old Twitters. You can find me, Josh Rock, on LinkedIn. Heck, look up Nuss Truck. You'll find me there. Reach out anytime. I'd be happy to chat to any of our fellow HR professionals across the country. That is fantastic. So I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. I really do appreciate it. It was a treat. Um, for everybody who is listening to the show tomorrow, Robin will be talking with Laura Mazzullo on HR Hiring Right Now. And then Michael has Karen Kenny of Evolve Leadership on Thursday, and we've got our host show on Friday. So make sure to join us. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, Josh. And to all our listeners, we'll see you tomorrow on Drive Through Talk. Peace out, guys. Okay. I finished 10 seconds early, so we have a little bit of time. Do you want to say bye, Dwayne? Bye, Dwayne. That's probably all we have now. So have a good week. We'll talk to you tomorrow, folks. Thank you. Thank you very much.